Hey y'all, welcome to Wild Confidence. I'm your host, Ainsley B, and I can't wait to share with you some amazing guests on this season of the podcast. Our goal here is to help one another find, keep, and share our wild confidence in Christ. I'm so thankful you're joining us, and if you love the episode today, I'd be so grateful if you left a review or shared it with a friend. All right, all right, let's hop in. I can't wait to meet our guest today. Oh my gosh. I am so obsessed with our guest today. Lena Abujamra is a pediatric ER doctor who now practices telemedicine and in her quote unquote spare time, enjoys attending her nephew's football games, traveling and lingering over a fine meal. She is a podcaster, conference speaker, and popular Bible teacher, and she founded Living with Power Ministries to provide medical care and humanitarian help to Syrian refugees and others in disaster areas. Yes, you heard what I said. She is unreal. She also hosts a radio show and is the author of several books. And we are going to talk about her latest book today. Oh my gosh, I'm I'm just such a fan of hers. She's such a badass. Let's meet Lena. Lena, I'm so excited to talk to you today. Welcome to Wild Confidence. Thanks for having me. I told you this before, but I remember us being on a call with um, a previous publisher and we were both on. And I remember thinking like, Okay, you are a pediatric ER doctor. You work with Syrian refugees. You're a writer, speaker. Like, you literally are the most badass person I've ever heard of or and met, of course. So I'm so excited to talk about your new book. Don't tell anyone you're reading this. Tell me the story behind the title and why you even wrote this book in the first place. Well, I, I tell you this. I wrote this book because it had to be written. And I don't think many people in a Christian writing leadership position are comfortable enough or safe enough to write it, first of all. And I think it was a God thing. I did not intend to write it. I'll tell you about the title in a second. But something happened back back a year ago, January, just a little over. No, no, this last January. And uh, yeah, yeah, this is hot off the press. This is a whole thing together very quickly. But I heard I had been through, first of all, a deconstruction experience. And so I sort of, this happened in 2013 and I watched that next like 10 years unfold and, and watched my own pastor who was very well regarded in the Christian evangelical community, very respectable church sort of implode, but it took six years for that story to unfold. And in those six years where I was hurt and the church was imploding, a lot of things started to happen in the Christian circles. A lot of bad stories of leadership failure, which is what was at the root of what happened in our church, the leadership failure uh, and from the top and, and everybody that surrounded that. And, and of those stories were stories of Ravi Zacharias and stories of Carl Lentz, big famous stories, nothing that we're gossiping about, just out in the world that you would hear every couple of days, you would hear, um, it seemed like like another leader who had legitimate problems in their sexual private life. And mm-hmm. I you know, would watch them and read you know, all the details, not because, I mean, some of it, there's a human curiosity curiosity like right but scratching the head going like how did it get this far how do you Mm -hmm. get from okay I get the struggle I'm single I've never been married I love Jesus I grew up in in the local church I came to Christ at a young age and so I understood the battle with temptation not as a person who like you know you hear a lot of people who are not Christians before and they get to be Christians and so they used to have sex before marriage and they used to be gay and now they're not so that seems like a respectable story, but, 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 you know, my, you know, I understood that even in Christ you struggle and I certainly uh-huh. understood that. What I didn't understand was how you go from A to Z and it bothered me, but not like what happened in January. I found out about a person who used to be a worship leader in my old haunt, in my old church that I really admired 
uh, not as a person, mind you, I liked him as a person, I admired sure. him as a person, but what really stuck out, because this is important, was the intimate lyrics that he used to write about the Lord. Like of all the people that led worship mm. in the church, he stuck out to me as someone that I felt really understood. Like, you know how some people, when they sing, you're like, man, I think he has a walk with God. Like he thinks he say he says and something tender about his heart. And, yeah. and, and I knew from his story that he had years before when he first started coming to church, was single, had had a moral lapse, was sent back to his home country. And then a couple of years later was repented, forgiven, came back and long and short of it, he eventually got married and lived happily ever after with his wife, right? Or so we thought, had three kids and just like a week before had seen their Christmas pictures and they seemed to be doing great traveling the world. And, and all of a sudden he had moved and was a worship pastor in a church of, of somebody I knew. And I texted the person and said, is this true? This was already on the World Wide Web and on the World Wide Web. So like, oh. <laughs> but anyway, I was like, is this possible? And he goes, yes, it is happening as we speak. And, and literally the guy had had this affair while leading worship for six months long and wanted to leave his family. And so oh. that bothered me because it went from being Ravi, a person I've never met, who, I, yes, I listened to on the podcast and everything, but impersonal, baffling. But this, why, how, where, mm -hmm. what, you know? And it just felt so I just was raving, you know, ranting about whatever you want to call it, uh, texting my friend who, and I was like really burdened by it. And, and the response actually was my agent. And he said, um, mm -hmm. Leah, sounds like you need to write a book about this. <laughs> I think he was just like, chill. And I thought in my head, the minute he said that, it was like, I had two thoughts. One was, this is the last thing I want to do. And my next thought was, this is exactly what the Lord wants me to do. Yeah. And I did. I, I went back. I was in Florida for the winter, spending some time with my mother, who's in that age where she needs us to be near closer. And I, in, in a short period of time, I wrote my story with sexual sin. But as, and I personalize it on purpose, but basically it's, it walks through each chapter, short chapters is a reason why we as Christians, followers of Jesus, this is a book for Christians, for followers of Jesus, why we continue to choose to do things that we know are leading down the road to implosion. Yeah. That was sort of the why. Yeah. Now, that's title. amazing. You want to hear yeah, tell me about the title. <laughs> that, then we can break it down. So I originally, so here's what I thought. I'm a pediatric ER doctor, emphasis on ER, right? So it doesn't mean I don't love kids. I just really don't love them enough to be a general pediatrician. I just am more edgy. You said the word badass. Sure. I didn't say it. So I'm more that. <laughs> the the you would never call a pediatrician that, like, right? That's so, true. But I, um, I'm used to speaking about things that are hard directly. Yeah. I'm used to calling things out. I don't hide behind uncomfortable situations. And I thought the church does not need another book that talks about sexual temptation in the way that we've talked about it for the past 10, 20, 30 years. It's not that what's been there is wrong or bad. It just has doesn't can no longer connect with people now. Yeah. Our whole culture has changed. And so yeah. my first thought, I was really was wrestling with putting together the outline and how I was going to write about it. And I, I knew it had to be personal. I, I knew it had to be direct, like a little bit, almost bold to the degree of discomfort. It had to mm -hmm. sort of do this, like, you know, like rub people's skin a little. And I um, came up with a title initially that was uh, very funny to me. I tend to, tend to have an ER sense of humor, but I wanted, I called it eggplants and peaches. <laughs> that's funny uh, so i mean if you're listening and you have no idea what they are ignore it no big deal but if you know <laughs> by rolling your eyes it's kind of funny most people that's what i told them and the subtitle was a sexual memoir of a 50 year old virgin 
So you, there's a lot in there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, here's the thing. As we got closer, almost a week before we went to printing, like it was very late. I mean, we were well into the process of getting this done. Uh, we got feedback from one particular Christian uh, or, you know, PR section firm, whatever you want to call it, that we maybe we maybe we were a little too uh, bold for the Christian industry. Okay. I mean, let me just sum it up politely as that. Yeah, and, yeah we <laughs> I relate. And I, listen, I wouldn't change a title. And so this is why this is kind of an interesting story, because the title sort of was born out of that sentiment, because it occurred to me, like, first of all, I would never have changed the title because one person didn't like it. It wasn't that. It was more the idea that this is written to a Christian audience that I want to read because we need it. And the last thing exactly. I want to write a title that would turn people away to the point where they wouldn't pick it up. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and some of the feedback even came from like my nephews are godly young college athletes and they're like representing Christ on campus. And they were like, I don't know if I'd carry this book on campus. And, and my, you know, I went from being like, well, you've got to, this is the way we need to, to yeah. <laughs> let's think through it. And so it turned into sort of a tongue in cheek. Don't tell anyone you're reading this sort of ironic. Like nobody wants to admit that they're struggling with certain things. Like right now you right. can show up the passion, you know, the, the 65,000 people, young adults, you know, meeting every year. And like, like people would be like, yeah, we have this scenario, but no one would really like recognize how deeply the sexual culture has clawed itself into us. Right. But five years, 10 years, 20 years later, you say, why are so many marriage, Christian marriages imploding? Why are so many, you know, cr- people who used to walk with Christ, why, why now? The number one conversation in the church is, what do you think about LGBTQ? What do you think about gender identity? All of these things are related. It's not like one lane that covers SSA, you know, same-sex attraction, all the terms that we in the church have adopted to have this conversation. It's that all of us are really uncomfortable talking about sex and healthy Christian sexuality. And um, and we need to change because 2023, this era, this decade is a decade where Satan, I believe, and evil has presented itself in our culture, in our nation. And one of the biggest signs of God being put down, trying to destroy, removing the Ten Commandments from the public sector to, you know, what yeah. one of the biggest signs is sexual perversion. And it's yeah. everywhere. I don't think we notice how how rampant it is. The subtitle, FYI, is A Christian Doctor's Thoughts on Sex, Shame, and Other Troublesome Issues. And it really was a big umbrella to say, we're talking a lot about things that might make you, things that maybe the church thinks thinks is taboo, but that we need to address because they're real, we're struggling with them, and we need to live victoriously over them. Yeah, and I feel like exactly what the subtitle kind of speaks to is not only is this about sex, but about shame being such a big part of this whole story and this whole issue. And I feel like previously I'm thinking about my grandparents and my parents, like whenever they were growing, well, even me, I mean, this, I was in the purity culture ring, you know, thing. There was so much shame surrounding this topic that it was like you, it was, it was telling, I feel like it was telling people to die to yourself, but not explaining what that actually means. So you're exactly and, why it was to write it in a memoir form. Exactly. Because I think we all knew the well know the principles. No one mm-hmm. knows. Yeah. You people who grew up in the church don't really know. Even I'm sorry, I would even say, like, I know the debate with the LGBTQ, like, you know, and a lot of churches are sta- changing their stances. I don't think you can be a true believer in the word of God, right? Really live under the authority of scripture and not acknowledge, like, the Bible clearly teaches some things about identity, about God creating men and women. Mm. And I say, I don't believe the Bible. That's a different, okay, fine. You're a Christian who doesn't believe the Bible. That's another conversation. But to say you're mm. a Bible-believing follower of Jesus, yet you have to acknowledge that God has an opinion on marriage, on singleness, and on gender. 
you know? Mm-hmm. And so you know, whether you submit it or not is a different story. So our knowledge has never been our problem. It's what you're saying exactly. Yeah. What does that look like? What is the healthy version of it? Rather than I'm going to run to the altar at age 20 because I need to have sex with someone, right? Because this is really what exactly. so many people get married. And then there's the purity culture plays a part in it because you're like, man, I've honored God as best I could. No one honors him, by the way, 100%. All exactly. those people honored God as best as I could. I've been engaged twice. I can tell you, well, the second relationship was unique. We, But even in that both, he, the second one, he, he didn't want to kiss till marriage. But trust me, I can tell you, and I'm not an example. Yes, we can talk about that in a second. But <laughs> regardless, it, we all say things like, well, we didn't do anything. We weren't sexually active before marriage. I'm not an example of everyone. I'm sure there's 10 people listening to the podcast who truly honored, you know, whatever purity rule. But the sure. majority have crossed lines. You might not be having sex, but you've done things that you might not want your pastor to know about. Exactly. But shame is there because then, you, and then the problem with shame as a Christian, right? Because if you're not a Christian and then you become a Christian and you leave shame at the altar and you're fine for a day until you start sinning again. Now you're ashamed because you're like, oh no, does God, is God going to bless me? So now the purity thing, you know, culture comes in where you were told if you honored God, then he would bless you. So then if God stops blessing you, then you think, well, this must be because, you know, a married couple who yes. have sexual, a healthy sexual encounter goes, oh, that's because I watched porn when I was 10 or 12 or 15, right? But yeah. that's logical. Maybe maybe that affected you. I'm not saying that there's no relation, but that's not the cause. God doesn't work this way. But but we're so we, we believe that. Oh, we believe it. Yes, we do think that. Given. We think it. And I've thought it. I was I was ashamed to write the book. Honestly, like why did I write about shame? Because and I couldn't have written it in 2013 before I left my church and deconstructed. And part of my deconstruct. And by the way, when I say that, let me be clear. A lot of people assume when you say I deconstructed that you stopped believing God. I wrote a book about deconstruction called Fractured Faith, Mm -hmm. the subtitle Finding Your Way Back to God in an Age of Deconstruction. I landed. So I think when you deconstruct, you don't, not everyone who deconstructs stops believing God. Many are wrestling with their faith, wrestling with Christianity, wrestling with the Lord and landing on the side of faith. Many. Mm -hmm. So yes, I deconstructed. And yes, I believe the Lord and his word even more strongly now, but Part of that journey was that I got into counseling. Mm. And for me, this is important because I think I think I could have never written about this topic had I not dealt with that baggage already. Yes. Individually with my counselor, therapist, you know, whatever. So I had already stepped into the light. I had made a choice. You say, well, what about small groups? You're a Christian. You've gone to church. You've been, I was a women's ministry director. I've been preaching the gospel. You, really you tell people as much as you're comfortable with. Yeah. You always hold back some. And I think the comf- the safety of a therapist relationship for me was that I found a place that I felt I could be safe. And some of that is my own personality. And I'm sure some people have no problem. They show up to small group and they tell you about, you know, every single thing they've ever thought and done. Okay. I, I don't know. I don't think that's the rule. I think that's the exception. I think most of us come to small group and we tell exactly enough to get people off our backs, to make ourselves look good. I mean, the small group culture, that's another discussion, but I, so for me, and and yet even with working through that stuff, I had to cross a barrier of shame that thought, what will people who know me? Yes, that's what I was. Ju- I just wrote down to ask you that. Well, what will How what, did you yes, reconcile? I think for my therapist to know, she right. doesn't. She's obligated not to tell anyone, right? But what will those people know? So yeah. I, I'll tell you what I ended up doing. I. Uh, and I think this is interesting because one of the reasons that I think hidden sin stays hidden, like whether it's Ravi Zacharias or Carl Lentz or whoever, first of all, you never sin because of sexual need. 
You sin because of emotional need. I mean, sexual sin is rooted mm. in emotional need. Honestly, almost nine out of 10 times, I'd say even 10 out of 10 times. And I, I will take someone to task in that. There's, always ask the question, if you're stuck in sexual sin, why? 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 What's behind it? What's the hurt? What is it? And, and if you don't know, get the book because every chapter will we'll kind of discuss briefly one of those, like, I think we're, we're, we don't have enough margin. You go, what does margin have to go to sexual sin? Well, everything. Because you're not in a healthy space with God, but but nonetheless, I um, as I wrote it, I thought I knew. Well, I knew too, and I talk about that in the book. About as you, how do you find your safe people? Well, you find people who uh, have also been stuck in the muck. And I, there were uh, one of my yeah. close friends who was my assistant at one time. I knew her story, and I knew that she would not judge me because she had been in my shoes. Yeah, and so. God, in, in his sovereign way, because I think God is the one who's healing you, guiding you, do using you, using your story, right? Everything that happens in our life, even the stuff we hate, God is, by, by his grace, going to use it for good. And and at that around that time, I hadn't talked to her in a few months, and she ended up, she had a need in her life, so she ended up reaching out to me for that. And I was literally three chapters into writing it, and I thought, Lord, I think she's the person who I'm going to let read as I write. And I felt like... Mm. Because I wanted to know, as I I would write a couple of chapters and pitch them to her and be like, "Have I am I crossing lines? Am I crazy? Is this you know like am I hitting? Is this what? Are you still gonna like you know what I mean? All of the yes, stuff. That yes. And the other person was my agent who um, has 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 experience in his family with some of the tough issues that the church and Christians are dealing with right now. And so I, those two people, I started showing them little by little because I felt like they would love me regardless. In that mm -hmm. capacity, that way, I, here's here's the biggest lie that Satan holds in front of us is that if someone finds out the, the extent of what you're struggling with, they'll hate you. God, God will hate you, and God mm -hmm. will you know, God will pull his favor. God will you know all this stuff, and it's it's a lie because the whole point of of Jesus, God coming to earth in the form of man, was to show us like he you know he's not turned off by us. He's drawn to us in love like he's he hates our sin because he's holy but he's drawn to us because he loves us and mm -hmm. just like i wouldn't turn my eight or nine year old now nephew away just because he ripped up my couch as an example i am mad at him in a moment right and i'm an on like i'm not doing like i'm nothing like god right I, i've already you know i've already described myself as an er badass basically but, yeah. like, but, <laughs> but even in that like after i give him a lecture hey do you want to have an ice cream with me right why love and yeah. so i saw that in them and then i so once i had told my story and then i shared my story then i shared it with more people and there was a point as the people that mattered to me read it i realized i'm free it was part of the journey i was free because jesus died for my sin yes that's all you need to be free but yeah. i was emotionally and free in every way where i felt like now i think you know i mean you know we've i've had i've sent it to some friends and like what do you think and people don't answer and you're like do they hate it do they hate me and yeah. i'm still talking about it right and now i think you know, it is what it is this is who i am you know like you know you think in heaven like you think but i know the judgment everyone has i don't I haven't studied it extensively yet maybe i will someday but like i always have this idea like at the judgment seat of christ like you know he's gonna yeah. judge the unsaved but then the saved are gonna line up and god's gonna like tell everybody yeah. They'll know everything about me. There's no surprise. <laughs> and there's such an extent of freedom in, in living in that space that I would yeah. I would encourage anyone who's like, you don't even know. Uh, here's the other thing we fear, consequences. Okay, mm -hmm. One thing is shame. Shame is me. I'm, I'm ashamed of my own, my pride, right? Consequences is, is what will happen if they find out. Yeah. But, and I talk about that briefly in the book in one of the chapters. I say, wouldn't it have been better for Ravi to admit it? Yeah, he might have lost some some respect for a moment when he was alive, 
but his whole legacy, you know what? And then, you know, someone emailed me recently. I was like, how do you know this really happened, Robbie? Look, I believe it because so many, it's been actually, they've, they've done internal reviews. There are people on his board. So I don't mean to create a conversation about sure. someone who passed away. I'm just saying, I think the cost of hiding is far higher than the cost of the consequences of coming clean. Yeah. And shame would tell you that same story. Exactly. Like that is exactly what, whenever the Adam and Eve were in the garden and they realized they're naked, like God says, like, who told you you were naked? And to me, that was shame that told them that, right? Like shame is who says you need to hide. And they hid themselves. They weren't good Christians. And it was, and they couldn't, if you read that story, I'm sure easily you've studied it, but if you follow that chapter after Jesus, or God, sorry, comes in and and, and the, you know, he comes in the garden, looks for them, which it's not incidental that, that he came looking for them. It wasn't them that looked for him, but he comes and looks for them and he asks them, yeah. and, you know, he sends the curse. And then he takes away their leaves, their man-made efforts at covering themselves. And he kills an animal. He says he took skin. He doesn't go into the details, but he took skin. Where do you get skin? From a dead animal. Right. So you kill the animal, you take skin, and you dress them with skin. Why is that relevant? Because it's one of the early pictures of Christ in the Old Testament that points to the coming Redeemer, that you can't save yourself. You can't make your own leaves and hide your nakedness, yeah. which is what so many people now are doing in culture. There's only one way to salvation, and it is the shed blood of Christ. And so from all the way from the beginning, you see that pattern of sacrifice being done for the sake of our sins. God wasn't surprised mm-hmm. by these sailors. On the contrary, you longingly came to them and healed them. And then even then you go, well, why didn't you kick them out of the Garden of Eden? It was an act of mercy because there was a the tree in the garden that was a tree of life. And had they eaten it, they would have lived forever in their state of sin. So yeah. mercy came out of the garden so that now there's a hope for salvation. And so you study scripture that way and you realize like the safest person to speak about your sin is the Lord. But God yeah. wants more for us than to walk in hidden guilt and when we sin, I mean, you know, sometimes I think about my book and I think that if you aren't a Christian, this is why I think this conversation sometimes is not a conversation that you can have equally with someone who doesn't follow Jesus and who, someone who does. Because people who don't follow Jesus, as, as an example, they don't think certain things are a big deal. Like they don't think mm-hmm. porn is a big deal. Now it's a right. news. They don't think masturbation is a big deal. They just think that's part of, in fact, if you Google healthy sexuality, I did a video series in preparation for the launch that I called Christian Healthy Christian Sexuality that will be launching soon. And a lot of great resources to try to help people and do a podcast series and do some Bible teaching. The book is, is sort of biographical, but this, the resources are going to be so helpful for people. But but you think about that, and, 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 and when you think about in Christ, there are things that you think, well, that's not a big deal. Well, Satan's biggest agenda with us is to make us feel like the things that aren't a big deal are a big deal, right? We get so nitpicky over small things, but the things that are a big deal aren't a big deal. Like he makes yeah. us feel down and i think um i think for the christian you can't look at porn or the thought life or how you treat your significant other or with you know all the layers of relationship this isn't a book for singles it isn't just singles who struggle with by the way most Mm -hmm. people who implode most pastors who implode the statistics of, of 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 pornography in the church by the way is um is equal if not higher i mean first of all the pastors who imploded are all married they're all married yeah Right. relationship with someone that they could technically be active and happily active with but instead they're um they're imploding they're seeps in a sexual sin of all sorts and lest you think this book is about porn because it's truly not if you want that there's plenty of resources it's just one of the threads of sexual sin that we think about but it is a book about all of sexual sin i think about the things now that we watch on netflix or uh, all oh of them. i have them all right i mean i have them all yeah. because 
because I, you know, you can hide them, but like it's, this is 2023. Like you yeah. put yourself a code, a covenant AI thing. I mean, all these are great programs. I'm not advocating not using them, but you can't rely on a formula. You right. can't rely on, oh, I'm safe. I got discovered how many people thought that they had parental controls. I only to find out that their kids are hooked to porn. And you go, how did they get into it? I have parental controls. Oh, you have a 360 app on your computer, you know, on your phones. And your kids are like, you're like, I thought, I mean, they were here. I have the 360 app. And then you hear what they've been up to. And it's like, wake up, wake up. We know how to play the system. We yeah. all know how to fix yeah. it. Yeah. And but you're, but you're saying something that like the wake up part, I think is the most important thing that you just said, because people are so asleep to this, like pe- parents and even just, I don't know, your accountability partners, if you have one of those or whatever, like it's waking up to the fact that like, it's, it's a, it's, I think it's also like, a I don't know, misunderstanding. Well, we we of, lull ourselves into a sense of safety. Yeah. Right. We want to, like every parent wants to feel like their kids are not doing that. And, yeah. And I, Again, I'm not saying every kid is hooked on porn, but I can tell you sure. statistically, when you look at like the first age that that kids start looking at porn, I think by 12, every like 95% of kids have already looked at porn. Yes, like, oh, yes. I think the age, the- like the average age they're first, first exposed to it is like seven. Yes. Which is terrifying. Yes. It's and, terrifying. And here, well, on Netflix, like you don't even have to like, it doesn't even have to be porn sites. Like, right? Like everyone has Netflix. Everyone has yeah, TV, HBO. Like, you can just turn the regular TV on. Like this is, we live at the mercy of our phones, which is yeah. part of the problem. And I think, I think while you can do some things to control the behavior, it's really sexual sin, the only way to overcome it and sexual purity. And it, it's a heart issue. And at the root of the heart, again, it's, yes. it's a problem of intimacy. It's a problem of feeling loved, of feeling like you mm. belong. This is why I believe as the church has deconstructed and people are no longer going to church like before, I think it's there's even higher rates of sexual sin because we, and, and by the way, this doesn't just apply to sexual sin. You can take any addiction, could be a food addiction. Sure. Now I'm going to feel on toes, right? It can be an exercise addiction. When what you're looking to in order to feel better about your current situation, whether it's you read a lot of fiction, that was my big thing. I read very racist books, right? I mean, I mean, this is people are probably listening. Going, well, what's her thing? She watched porn. Well, there's a lot of ways to watch porn. You know, I've certainly sure. crossed lines in my Netflix viewing that I wish I hadn't. I've certainly had, you know, my my sin happens not to be with another individual, but that doesn't lessen my guilt before God, and sure. that doesn't lessen the sacrifice of Christ on the cross for my sin. So I'm no different. I'm no better. I'm no worse. This isn't about comparing one, ourselves to one another. This is about saying, why? What drove? What drives me to turn to those things? What am I escaping from when I exactly when I have to take another, when I binge on shopping on Amazon because I want to feel better for the moment? We're all That one hurt. That one, that hurt. one hurt. does hurt. <laughs> and so you start thinking about life this way and kind of go back to it's all, everything we do, every sin pattern is rooted in do you believe God? And not just do you believe God, do you believe God's goodness to you? Yeah. Do you believe yeah. that goodness is enough for you in your places of pain? I 100% agree because I feel like the farther I am from God, obviously the more the enemy can win. And I started thinking like, as the church, like, I do think we have to have these conversations. Like we have to have these conversations, these, these in our day-to-day life, this is what struggles are. And this is especially with sexual sin, especially with so many pastors falling. But I also think like, we can also 
instead of focusing on these do's and don'ts, which I know you don't do in the book, which I appreciate, but like these do's and don'ts of that were being spoken to from the pulpit. We're also like, we need to be fostering the evangelism part. Like this is how you tell people about Jesus, because if you're telling people about Jesus, you can't do both at the same time in the same moment. So if you can well, get and, and you know I, into that kind and of I thing. don't think and I think you hit something important because I think we think telling about telling people about Jesus is like hey what's your name my name is Lena did you know Jesus died for your sins and exactly you know, like, give them a list of facts right yeah. which are not wrong facts but you know they may or may not have grown up in but the that's church not church. human but that, well, that's not human exactly what the gospel is here's what here's who I am. Here yes. where I, here's where my place is of pain. You know, I struggled for a season of my life in believing God because I was so disappointed with the leaders in my church. And then I associated for some reason that these leaders were approved by God because it took years for the story to play out. And I, could, I just couldn't believe that God cared for me that season. And one of the ways that I felt better about it was that I would just lose myself in a story. And then I would act out on those things. And I saw the lines blurring and blurring and blurring. And one day it was like, like you now you go well what happened well it's like god met me there i remember the, yeah. one day i talk about it a little bit in a book where i sort of started trudging in some i had my toes in in in, in some gray well in some in some murky waters let's say that not gray not gray waters i think they're murky not gray gray is like <laughs> why is it wrong murky is it's wrong and you shouldn't yeah put your feet on and and i remember the next morning waking up and being i've got a problem and I thought about the word put in my mind of a person, well-known person who is a dear friend of mine. And I emailed her and I understood, knew that she would understand what I had gone through. And I emailed her and I said, I need help. And that was the first time I told someone outside of my therapist uh, that I just need wow. help. And, and, you know, and she is funny. She never said to me, well, you need to do these three things. She just invested in me. We started having conversations. Yeah. You just, it was during COVID and we would go, I would go on a walk for five miles and she'd FaceTime me, not call, but FaceTime. And I think this is rich because it was like connecting with another human. Mm-hmm. And I know she's, I know her enough to know she, this wasn't like her being uncomfortable talking about this. This was her understanding that the yeah. cure was building intimate, healthy connection, relationship and connection. Yeah. And our culture, why I think sexual sin, besides the fact that Satan is really bumped, like you may say God can't be bumped. God, I don't think Satan bumped. God has given us over, just like in the days of judges, to, 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 to Satan for now. I really think so. I think you can see it in the political realm. I think you can see it in the decisions that are being yeah. made you know, at every level in our country. And I think, um, I think that sexual perversion is rampant, but I also think the church is the least healthy relationally it's ever been. And if you don't agree with me, you might be like, you don't know our church. We all love one another as fine. Praise God for that. Write books about it. Talk about it. Tell us your secret. And large, not the story in the U S. So when you come to a person who doesn't know Christ and you share, here's where my pain is. And here's how Jesus is meeting me in my pain. And here's how he works. And here I'm not perfect today, but I'm certainly, I know I've tasted and I see the goodness of God. And I no longer am the person of 2013 who left my church who by 2014 and 15 like I could talk to God about 90% of my baggage, but not 100%, because I just didn't know I could trust him with that 100%. And now I'm that person who, I don't always get it right, but I always know that God is for me. And to yeah. me, that is a huge, huge victory. And my my victories are much better than, like, you know, like, I'm not, people are like, well, are you over it? I'm like, yeah, and yes, and you know, yes and no. Like, what's what does that mean? I'm in the, yeah. I'm 
flesh. Every day is a battle. Every yeah. day is a decision to believe God. Every day is a decision to mm. invest in people. When people get on your nerves, don't people get on your nerves? I mean, I mean yeah. you know, like I'm single, I've been living alone forever. I'll hang out with, you know, I'll go on mission. We just came back from a ministry trip. And, and after three days with the same people, I'm like, I need a break from them. Yeah. <laughs> but it's fighting against that. And it's understanding that you are interdependent with people. You can't do life on your own. And I think this, this is a skill and and something in our culture that needs that we need to get better at, and uh, and I think we need to teach the younger generation that because I think that's the yes. problem. I always blame my generation, Gen Xers, at messing everybody up because the millennials are the hard, you know, they're the most messed up generation with all respect. But like they, and it's because of us because we. Yeah. In some ways, we failed them. We were my generation is the one that taught the purity culture. We became legalistic. We, you know, we wanted to be celeb, whatever, you know. And so the millennials saw through that. And so they sort of, in some ways, they were a wake-up call to the church to say things are not well. And you yeah. almost improvement in the Gen Y is almost like where there's a, a more um less less hard-heartedness. Yeah. Uh, but I also think there's a need for us to disciple better than we're doing. Yes. The and the Gen Zs. Uh, because I, I agree very well right now. I agree. I think the discipleship piece is so crucial. And I think that your book is like the perfect book to go through with someone that you, in discipleship, especially a younger generation, because as much of the topic of sex as they're consuming on their phones and on their media and in media. And I mean, I'm saying they, but I mean, all of us in general. Yeah, yes, yes. The, so let's talk about it. Okay. It's, it's in front of your faces. Well, and, so and let's talk like, about I'm, it in this way. And and I always, you know, it's funny. I, I when I, I spoke at a thing last night, and they introduced me, and they were talking about the book, and they were like, "Oh, this is." They read something that maybe somebody had sent them about. This is a book about sexual temptation, how Hashiko became sexual temptation. But and today I was telling my assistant when I was talking to saying, "We need to fix that language a little because I don't think it's a book just about sexual temptation. In fact, yeah. like as an example, like one of the um, uh, one of the um, uh, titles, like let me find one, like um, like." promises promises i feel like a hypocrite making promises i can't keep that's one of the chapters like that doesn't mm -hmm. apply to sexual everything tithing going everything to church, yeah right like i'm gonna start going to church again every week and you're like ah oh, i'm gonna skip because i just watch it on video and like you miss right feudal formulas like the subtitle there i'm sick and tired of formulas that don't work we apply formulas even to our prayer life you ever notice it's like we're yes demonic acts oh my goodness i didn't yeah, pray right. acts, I didn't yeah. first, right like i need to adore confess Snakes, you know, like wow, stop. Oh my <laughs> gosh, so, so you know. And I think that's you know, one of my favorite ones is I think it's breathe, breathe. I and the subtitle, the theme there, when you think about why we run to sin, I deserve this because I work so hard. So it mm. feels like an escapist thing. Well, what is this chapter breathe about? What well, it's about, we need margin. You can't, you cannot, we cannot. The hustle is the message in our culture right now. And Christian hustle is the worst kind of hustle. And they're running, 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 running. We're running in church. I've spent my 2010 to 2020 in a church culture that like wants you to, you know, you know, your sign of being a godly Christian is to show up to everything. Yeah. And then between that and your work responsibilities and the money situations, everybody needs more money for whatever reason because inflation. And then I, and then this phone thing that takes your attention 24-7 and you go, man, I, you don't understand. I don't have time for God. Well, I agree. Yeah. We're living. None of us do. Right. Why? We're reverting things that eat up more of our time and don't bring us happiness. And so the solution to that is to start take it all upside down. It's like the food pyramid. You just got to flip it all back together. And you go, well, yeah. that's so overwhelming. I can't do that. Well, what choice do you have? 
Otherwise, mm-hmm. you could that story of a Ravi Zacharias who lived his life, people thinking is one thing. And today, I think many people in the church walk into the church, walk out of the church, show up to their homes. Everyone thinks they're one thing. And then you uh, find out later, man, I don't know how he got this way. Well, I can tell you, you can't keep up these this space. You can't continue the way that you're living. Besides all the other stuff you could say, you know, I mean, we all have sin and every, I mean, I, I mean I'm, I'm just theorizing, but I'm just saying. Sure, exactly. Because I've, re- I've told you my story of it. Yeah. I may not have gone to that point, but but for God's grace. Right. And, uh, yeah, and that's good. Willingness to have a tender heart and to say, yeah, this might make me look good, but I'd rather look, or this might make me look bad, but I'd rather look good with the Lord. Yeah. yeah. And the, the, so, the, the next generation is so is craving so much authenticity that if we can, I mean, your book is so authentic and so vulnerable. And I think that that's why people are going to be able to take a, a breath of fresh air. It's going to be like, oh, okay. Like we can have this alone. conversation. You're we can alone. talk about it. I'm not alone. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. I am seen. I am. And, and like you Nothing said, is wrong you're with straightforward. You. Yeah. you know, like I even talk about some, some, I mean, especially in the, in, in the area of sexuality, I do think again, though, it's not a book just about sexual temptation. It is a book about sexual temptation. And I think, sure. I think as Christians, we can feel so dirty if we think certain things or watch certain things that we think, man, I'm, I'm out. Like I, like if they only knew that. And I think to know that, well, first of all, we're all, I mean, we're, this is what I keep saying we're all the same, right? Yes. We're all the same. We're built of the same DNA and we all have perversion in us, but again, sure. it's Absolutely. Changes us. and it's, and this is, well, again, you could call it sanctification. You could call it transformation, but the entire process of the Christian walk is, is us recognizing Christ as being a deeper joy than those other things. But, but, but it doesn't feel this way for a while. It's like mm-hmm. eating healthy, right? It never feels good. I'd rather have an ice cream cone than I'd rather, you know, than eating, I don't know, broccoli. Although I like broccoli, so that might not be a great comparison. But but you understand, <laughs> like there's yeah, people of course. I eat clean. And I think, I wish I did. Like once you get to eating clean, you don't want to eat unclean. But exactly. there is like a matter of faith of saying, this will be good for me. And as yeah. you do more and more of that. And so I think some of these things, but, but, but sometimes you can't even get to eating clean because you're so disgusted with yourself. Yeah. I never do that. And I you get so hard. far behind. Yeah. Yes. That you are like, Oh, yes. the, it will be so much harder. It'll be so much times. harder. I've tried yes. it. I cleaned out my fridge three times in the last year, you know? <laughs> and it's like, students, we're all it's such a good example. That's it. And it's, 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 you're not alone. And let's, yes, let's talk about it because this is the first way to shed the light on a situation. And so I hope so. I hope that people will find my story. You know, my, the point of writing vulnerably isn't, you know, to, to, to drive sales numbers. God only knows that that's like, a, no one can drive sales. I mean, they're superstars and they're not, and I'm not, but I think you hope that your story uh, will connect with a human who might be hurting and help them to see that they're a, they're not alone. And that maybe God can use my brokenness and my story to help you uh, step out of your own uh, dark tunnel that you're dying to get out of. That's what I mean. All dying to step into the light. We just don't, we're, we don't know the way alone. And so hopefully this I will be walking with you towards the light. Oh, that's, I believe that it is going, it is that 100%. And I want everybody to get their hands on it. So where can they find it? Well, the easiest, of course, is Amazon, but we also have yeah. a great page that they can access. It's called Dr. Lena, D-R-L-I-N-A, drlinabook.com. And there's a ton Perfect. of stuff there, by the way, we've created. By the time the book launches, we'll have a, a tell your story page, which just offers oh. a place to 
talk that can be anonymous or non-anonymous. So you don't have to share it publicly, but, but we want to be able to minister to you. There's at the bottom of the page, there's a book club guide. So you can do this with your, your small group, you do it with your friends, you do it with one friend, or you just help guide conversation on it. So there's, you can find a lot, a whole lot of stuff on that page, drlinabook.com. Amazing. And what is your social media? Uh, well, if you can spell my last name, right? No, it's uh, yeah. Damra pretty much, which I always joke, you can put a bunch of consonants and it'll show up, but you can, you know, <laughs> you can put Lena Abu Jamra or you can put uh, living with power is the name of our ministry. So, Amazing. and if you go to drlinabook.com, all of our handles are there too. So, Perfect. Thank you so much. I'm so, uh, I'm such a fan of yours and I'm just so excited. I've gotten through some of the book, but not all of it. And I can't wait to keep going. So thank you so much for hanging out with us. It gets a little, uh, I know I'm like, oh, good. Then you can interview me. Then it'll be like, no, I literally. Yeah. Yeah, Then we have to do a part two. It spikes up. Yeah. You get into its climaxes and then it's like, grace. Like (laughs) when you get to the chapter on grace, it's like, that's how don't do the boo-boo dude is too. Like that kind of pattern. So, um, Uh, I'm all about it. (laughs) Thanks for having me, Aisley. I love you too. Thank you so, so much for spending time with us today and hanging out here on Wild Confidence. I hope that you feel encouraged and ready to tackle the day, feeling even more confident than you did before you started listening. I'd be so thankful if you left a review or shared this episode with a friend and I'll see you soon. Oh, don't forget, let's connect on Instagram. My Instagram handle is at Ainsley B and I hope to meet you there.